0: Hey, and welcome to the Christina Talks podcast. Now, today's podcast, I've got completely different guests to usual. Someone I met at a charity lunch and got chatting to, and I was like, "Oh my god!" I just this conversation—it came out of nowhere, and there were so many things I was learning in this conversation, and I just thought, "You know what? I'm going to get them on the podcast." So, today's guest is a rugby legend okay this is a name if you're into your rugby you will know exactly who this person is um it's someone who's had a career that spanned um, i think it's 14 years he was playing rugby he's played for saracens and tigers he's had 24 um england rugby caps It's just absolutely crazy, like the the amount of rugby that he's played over those years and the people he's played alongside and and that sort of stuff. And he's, you know, he's now a, um, a professional speaker and he's interviewed on TV and like all sorts of podcasts, that sort of stuff around rugby and what's happening, like Six Nations World Cups, that kind of stuff. But why am I talking to this person? You're about to find out. There is like there are so many things that he's got to say that I think are like you can kind of take that little bit of information and really apply it to business. So without further ado, I'm gonna start today's podcast talking with the fantastic George Shooter. Awesome. So welcome to the Christina Talks podcast
1: thank you very pleased to be here
0: and uh, you know it's we've just had a really funny 5 minutes because i basically we're in an open plan office and i said to everyone right like guys you like get out you've got to go i'm recording a <laughs> podcast and um i've never seen them take so long to leave the building honestly (laughs) one of them in particular is um, is an absolute rugby fan it's like the only podcasts he listens to are rugby related and when i said i was going to be interviewing you he was like like all of a sudden really (laughs) interested really really interested there's a a, disappointment well there was a little bit of disappointment more so in (laughs) me than you because he's he's an avid saints fan
1: Oh, God. Yeah. Well, it's a good job he's left in. That's I've it. That's
0: that, yeah. it. I've, I've figured it'd be safe to keep a little bit of separation <laughs> here, right? Yeah. So the people that listen to my podcast, they are, they're in business, they're entrepreneurial, that sort of stuff. Yeah. We met at a, um, a charity lunch and we got chatting and there were just, there were the things we were talking about. Some of the stuff you were saying, I was like, it's so relevant. Yeah. For business, that I just wanted to sort of just have a bit of an open conversation with you. So, if any of those people don't know who George Shooter is, I mean, more for them. But come on, like That'd be my
1: mum, mum, like, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Come on, give us the intro.
1: Uh, God, yeah, put me on the spot now. Uh, Well, I mean, I, I guess I'm a former rugby player, freshman rugby player with uh, Saracens, Leicester in England. Um, I've been retired for eight years now, so I'm sort of uh, not able to say that too much longer. You know, I used to play rugby a very, very long time ago. And um, I mean, I, I've done lots of bits and pieces since I've since I finished playing. I've, I've been a coach. Uh, I've worked in sort of corporate hospitality and after speaking, and I've done a bit of business development with some people. Um, so I guess yeah, if, if this was eight years ago, it'd be quite easy. I, I'm just yeah, uh, you know, I'm a rugby player or just retired rugby player now. It's a bit of well, I do a bit of this, a bit of that. And I still don't really know exactly what I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, so I guess I'm sort of uh, back to square one again. Yeah, Where when I was about 15 years old, I think we're going to do for the next uh, 50 years, uh, I'm, I'm I'm back there now. But unfortunately, I've only got about 30 years left. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's really funny, because one of the things I, I wanted to kind of like bring into the conversation is I'm like decision making. OK, yeah. so, obviously, there's, you know, a bit of indecision, perhaps at that point, leads you into a career in rugby. And, yeah. you know, 24 England caps, I'd, I'd I'd sort of say that didn't work out too badly for you
1: yeah and yeah perspe- perspective uh is great and it? it's, it's the hindsight sort of 2020 that that that's a little chestnut i mean uh, but i i, I talked to, to young players now and things are very different back in in my day when I was sort of 16 17 18 I think um lots of people don't realize what the sort of uh, well, certainly the rugby landscape was like that then, you know, it wasn't a case of going to school, uh, someone at 12 years old said, oh, you're, you're going to be good. We're going to put you on a pathway, a DPP for a rugby club or whatever. You're going to be a fresh rugby player when you, when you grow up. Um, I, you know, rugby was amateur. Um, so no one got paid to play it, and unless you got a bit of illegal boot money and, and stuff like that, which could get you banned for, for life from the game. Uh, so there, yeah, you got expenses and stuff, and that was it. Uh, so you didn't, you didn't grow up wanting to be a professional rugby player. I wanted to play rugby for my, my sort of club and maybe even for England at, at, at some point. But I needed, I wanted to i sort of had prospects of being a teacher at the time so i wanted to do it for a job um and then just just as i was sort of turning 18 19 i'd sort of um I'd done a year at university reluctantly uh the game went professional literally overnight so i forget what date it was december 1995 uh, world rugby at the time whatever it was called back then and said look the game's now professional you can be you can be paid to play genuinely paid not sponsored not uh, not given sort of um, expenses you can actually have a contract like a like a football or whatever uh, and that was overnight and so suddenly comes to sort of 1996 I've, I've done a year university I'm not really enjoying it um playing rugby sort of socially at the time um and, and I sort of uh, got off got offered the opportunity to play for Saracens and, and sign a full-time contract so it was there was no real sort of strategy behind it it was just a case of, uh, sort of fell, into rug, well, I fell into rugby initially as a, as a player um just through going through the right school uh, I found it suited me. I sort of played a bit of county rugby when I was fifteen, sixteen years old, and yeah, you know, quite like this, this. is good, and then got to play for sort of uh, Surrey and London and, and those sort of divisional, uh, sort of representational teams in the South East and then sort of fell into a full-time contract at Saracen. So, um, yeah, you tell that to youngsters now, and they just don't, they just don't get it. They don't understand what it's like to not be on a pathway, not have yeah. something. Yeah, uh, get come to, uh, rugby club comes to you at the age of 14 and 15, gives you a, a diet plan and a training plan and a weights plan, and you know, all this. And then, uh, oh, who's your agent at sort of 16 years old? I mean, I yeah, just didn't have an agent until I was about 25. So, yeah, it's just it's, it's a very different landscape. So, yeah, I do, I do sort of I talk about my experiences in rugby, but they're, you yeah, know, they're, they're very, very different to, to what uh, younger players. Um, uh, experience now, and I, and I wonder what they're going to say in, in 10, 20 years time themselves. Uh, how the game's going to change in that time.
0: So, at that point, were you given that opportunity? How, like, how much of that choice to, like, you know, not stick with that university path and, and make that jump? Like, how much of that was intuition?
1: Uh Well, I mean, I suppose you've got to sort of define intuition. I I, I guess that it was pretty black and white for me at the time. I wasn't enjoying university. I didn't really see myself probably not finishing it, actually. Maybe not even finishing my first year. Uh, And actually, as it happened, I had a potential to go and and do a pretty decent job. So, I mean, it wasn't really... I mean, you could call it intuition in in that I wanted to play rugby, um, perhaps. But again, this is something else people don't really grasp is no one really knew at the time whether rugby would catch on as a professional sport. Um, the RFU, the governing body of, of England rugby, certainly didn't because at the, at the straight at the outset of the game, they should have signed up all the professional players to central contracts like they have in cricket and other sports now, uh, and then they, they would control all the players. They 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 just thought, in, in a year's time, two years' time, these people are putting money into rugby, they'll be bored, they'll take their money out, and we'll go back to the way it was where it was amateur and you know they got all their gin and uh, their rugby their, their game passes, all that. Um, so I mean, like. Sort of to answer your question, I don't think I sort of thought actually. You know what? I've I've got a feeling about this. This is this could be me. At the time, it was like someone says, "Do you want some money to play a game you're playing for free at the moment for fun?" Being a stupid eighteen year old, I was like, "Yeah, why not?" Um, Go and move to North London, a bit, bit of a different crack, different people still living in London and a bit of money it was uh yeah I wasn't wouldn't call myself a deep thinker and that wasn't a particularly deep thought it was just you know what that sounds like a good idea and um, better than my current option of, of staying at university and <laughs> potentially getting booted out so um yeah I, mean, I, know, I know I know the question you're sort of trying to ask but uh, honestly I'm trying to get across the, the, the fact that the that the whole landscape was completely different back then it wasn't the case of me plotting the next sort of 10, 15, 20 years of my life it was just Literally, someone's going to give me a contract and I'll, I'll get some money to play rugby and that was it
0: you know sometimes though i think it's like people overthink that thing of like you know i need to be really tactical really strategic now this is the stuff i need to this is what my path needs to look like yeah we're actually if we just follow our gut a little bit more and think about what's going to make us like actually what would make me happy right now
1: now yeah yeah now that 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 question i could answer that we'll probably come to that later in the the show i think as the um as my career in rugby carried on i had to make those decisions about you know do i do i do i Stay at Saracens? Do I stay in the game? Do I stay at Leicester? Do I all these sort of stuff? And I think then I was a bit older, a bit more—I say mature, a bit more, a bit older, should we say? Uh, and I did have to make some instinctive, instinctive decisions and gut decisions. And you know, don't get me wrong; it's not all fly by the seat of your pants. You know, I had a young family as well, so we had to we had to think about those sort of things at the time. But a, a lot of, funny enough, a lot of my actual decisions in the game from from about the age of twenty onwards. When, I, when it was a proper profession then it was pro- something that was here for good uh, and that was going to be, uh, that was for sure. A lot of my decisions did work, were based around how I felt and how my gut told me to feel rather than any sort of strategy and careful planning. Um, I mean, some of that's just me. I'm not a particularly careful planner, I suppose, in general. Um, but I, I do like to sort of follow my instincts a, a, a bit. I mean, I don't, I don't like to follow me, I just do. I, I think it's just the way I am, to be honest. it's not uh, It's not something I've developed or worked on. It's just, I've been fortunate enough to to have relatively good instincts, I
0: suppose. Awesome. With the training regime and, and sort of, you know, yeah. moving through the ranks, as it were, obviously there's a lot of discipline. Yeah. And, you know, in business, there's a lot yeah. of discipline required. So I, yeah. I just kind of wanted to talk about that because there must have been those, you know, you said like the diet, the gym, the weights, mm. uh, all of it. It's just kind of like...
1: Here we go another day. Mm. Yeah, I, and I think um, having well towards the end of my career, but certainly post career, I do realise that there are those sort of transferable skills. I come I come across a lot of business people in in my work now, uh, and, and often find ourselves talking about uh, things like self motivation and, and and yeah, just even even just getting on with people that are from a different country or a different part of England or yeah, have different religious beliefs. So it just because I think again. It's almost can be taken for granted that you just people, if you're in the same sort of job, just get on. You know, you sit in an office doing the same job as everyone else. You must be, uh, you must be all on the same page because you're just doing the same job. That's not the case in, I'm not sure it's not the case in your office. It's not the case in any office I know. And it's not the same in, in rugby. It's 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 different because sport can, sport offers you a different release than uh, accountancy or, or whatever. But at the same time, I'm sitting in the changing room with the guys from, all, all walks of life, uh, lots of people from abroad. Um, and again, yeah, I use, I use religion. Religion's a good one. It's, you know, it's not something I've ever been uh, followed, but I've played with some deeply religious people. And I think back now they're sort of sitting in changing room with some sort of, shall we say, hedonistic people um, who, who are not particularly religious. And actually they're, they're learning to not conform, because that's the wrong word, but they're learning to Uh, be a bit more tolerant of people who aren't religious I'm learning to be a bit more tolerant of people that are very devout and you know don't like swearing and all this sort of stuff Um, so that but those sort of those sort of lessons you don't don't get taught in you do a degree in English they don't teach you how to talk to people they don't teach you how to get out of bed in the morning and self-motivate yourself to go and do a a run in the cold or a weight session when your your legs hanging off or whatever it is so those sort of things are the discipline and and the, the confidence, those sort of things that, that, that are almost natural to sports people in general, but uh, in my obviously in my experience, rugby people in particular, uh, they are priceless commodities. When you get into a, a world of business, where you are actually, especially perhaps pre-pandemic, but when you when lots of business revolves around sitting in front of people, talking to people, sometimes entertaining people, trying to sort of court business from them or, uh, or whatever, uh, those sort of interpersonal skills that uh, that sort of almost second nature to sports people are absolutely priceless.
0: Absolutely. When we met, one of the things we talked about was sort of interviewing skills. So at at this lunch, there was um, someone you played with previously and it was like focus was on them. But you you were keeping the conversation going and you could (laughs) kind of you could kind of see it's like you you knew this person enough. You know, you knew which strings to pull out to to get the best out of them. And it was kind of like, you know, you're kind of there and your attention is supposed to be on that person. But, you know, because I do podcasts, it's like, I was like, really, I was like, <laughs> yeah. he's really good. So when you're in those situations, that like, that rapport building kind of scenario, like, give us the secrets, George.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, knowing someone very well is is obviously very important. But having said that, I, I do work with people that I don't know very well. Um, but I think because we we sort of share the background of rugby and, uh, you know, sometimes we work with cricketers and sport. As I said before, sport is fairly uniform. Um, actually, not knowing someone personally is not really a problem. I can I can still talk to people in that environment and ask them to spill some dirty secrets or whatever. Um, it's, it's funny because because traditionally, what happens at a sporting lunch is you get get some bloke up as a guest and he, he talks for 45 minutes, tells the, some sort of tired old jokes and repeats a lot of stories that other people do. Um, everyone loves it because, you know, you're there having steak and wine on a Friday afternoon and why wouldn't you just laugh along and clap? Uh, and I've been to a million of them. Um, but since I've started doing the the interviewing, the question and answers, uh, I, I, I try and keep it relatively fresh and, and a little bit like this is just sort of just Let's just talk. I don't want to... Okay, yeah, England are playing France tomorrow. We need to talk a little bit about that, maybe. Uh, Lions are on tour. We might have to talk a little bit about the sort of current affairs of rugby. But um, generally, I don't... I, I, I get bored listening to people just speak all the time and sit there and tell. And, and I say, if you go to enough events, you hear the same stories, just with different backgrounds and different people involved in them. So I, I made a deliberate effort when I started doing this job to stand at the, stand at the bar. So I get the guy to sit at the front uh, on the stool. Uh, and I go and stand at the bar, uh, partly because I like standing at the bar, um, but also because it's not about me. I, I'm there, obviously. I've got a microphone. So as you say, I can chip in with bits of pieces here. But um, I don't want it to be about me. I'm, I'm not not the reason people are coming. They're coming to see whoever it is at, at lunch. Um, and and I think it also, it, it just, a few people found that quite weird a few guys i've talked to found it quite weird so why aren't you sitting next to over here i'm like well you know what it's, you know, just let's just let's just see how it goes and it, and it worked pretty well and um and i like to do that it's just for me it's there's no secret to it it's just um know your subject now if i don't know him personally i'll do a little bit of homework and you know it, there's always something out there or some sort of uh hook to talk to people about uh but then just really it's a case of Let's just, let's just talk let's just have a chat and you know we're, we're, I've, I've just, <laughs> we've gone off the tangent let talk about people's parents and where they grew up and, and people come up to me afterwards and go oh, do you know what I didn't know that about X and Y I didn't realise he was from there I didn't realise that was how he got it. and all these things I find you know if I was in the audience I'd like to know a bit more about it. You know, I can talk to Johnny Wilkins. I know he's dropped a goal and won the World Cup. I've seen that a million times on TV. I've heard about his injuries. But actually I want to see wanna wanna learn a bit more about what's behind the behind the curtain. Who who are you? What what do you do? What makes you you? And again, a little bit like exactly what you're doing. It's yeah, you know, it's just it's a curiosity, I suppose. And I'm fortunate enough to to be able to ask those questions um in front of a room full of people who, who who seem to lap it up. So I mean it's uh, it's it's nice, yeah, it's good
0: yeah but what i really loved was the um that there was one particular bit and i can't remember you know, th- there was a match, something coming, coming up. And you kind of said like, you know, wh- you know, what's your prediction and he didn't want to say, and you just push back and you could yeah. see the media training at play. It was yeah. like, you know, media training is, you don't answer the question. You just say what you, what you're there to say, right? What irrelevant of yeah. the question. And it, it was just this, like, it was this per for me, this perfect moment where you're not ans- you're not answering my question, <laughs> So it's not like I'm going to ask it in a different way. I'm just going to freaking ask it again.
1: Yeah. Until yeah. you do. But, but, but again, some of that is because... I know the people. I know them pretty well, and I know again. I know sports people. They, everyone has opinion. Don't whoever you are. Don't care what everyone says. Uh, everyone has an opinion on almost everything. People say oh, I'm not judgmental. I'm like, yeah, I bet you are. But you just you know, like people to know you're judgmental. Yeah, it's, that's that's uh, that's me and my wife down to a t. Um, But yeah, people people don't like to admit it. Um, so when you get in front of a room of 130 you know, odd people and someone says, uh, "What's the score going to be tomorrow?" Your instinct then is to say, "Well, you know," I, I, in, in your head you're thinking, "I know England are going to win this by 10." Or lose by 10. I don't want to tell everyone because half the room's hoping England will win, half of them's hoping Wales will win. I don't want to get booed or whatever. So you end up just playing a straight, a straight bat and saying, oh, well, you know, I'm sure it's going to be a tough game and, uh, yeah, the weather can play, blah, blah. Actually, I, yeah, it's, it's it's quite fun sometimes to put people on the spot and see, yeah, but other other guys will definitely just carry on saying, no, you know, I'm not, I don't know, it's too close to call. Cool. And you, just, you, give them, you give them some grief for sitting on the fence and all that. But, um, yeah, again, I. I if if I do I do twenty or twenty five events there a year. If I have everyone that coming there and telling me that you know, both sides could win or both sides could lose, i will just you know be bored to tears. So I want to hear what you really think rather than you know, what uh, what you should say. And it's not controversial, is it? You know, shock horror. Ex England player thinks England will win a game. No, it's yeah, it's not not exactly uh, front page news, is it?
0: Yeah, and I think this is the thing in those scenarios. It, it is a it's an intimate. I mean, yeah, there's like what 150 200 people in the room probably, but it is intimate. Yeah. You know, you don't want just what was in the book. Yeah,
1: you know exactly, exactly, and 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 that's, well, that's exactly what I was saying at the beginning. It, it would bore me, and you know. We have some fantastic ex players coming down, good mates of mine, as I said, some of them I don't know so well. Um and and I, I know I know about them. I'm a rugby, I'm a rugby fan, first and foremost. So I've seen Sean Fitzpatrick, I watched him, he was one of my heroes. Michael Liner, I play with him I know him. he's one of my heroes. I know these guys, I know what they've done in the game, but actually, you know, I wanna I wanna sort of peel back that bit and, and just see how you got there, um, how how you stayed there probably is, is even more interesting. Uh, and uh, that's not the sort of stuff you can normally get, uh, as, as you say, if you read someone's autobiography, it's all, oh, I struggled, it was really tough for me, but I made it eventually. So, well, yeah, okay, that um, sounds good. But it's, yeah, there's a million, million stories like that and everyone's got that sort of story. What else is there about you and, 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 and your, your um, whatever's led you to, to where we are today? Um, I, I find that interesting, and uh, hopefully everyone else does as well.
0: Yeah. So, that's, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people about personal brands from a marketing perspective. And and I think it is this there's this kind of like everybody's have a sob story or their rags to riches story and that kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, yeah lots of people came from broken homes and dropped out of yeah, university yeah. and did well. But it's like, what, what's all the juicy bits in between? That's the bit that really mm. makes the story come alive.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So, Over your sort of your your more recent career, um, I I know you've had sort of you know the things to do with people in business and that sort of stuff, and and like I said, I know there are important lessons from the game that are totally transferable. So, from your perspective, what like what is a key thing that you've just found you've just sort of had to share again and again and again to help people?
1: I I don't know, it's I don't know how to sort of articulate it. I think it's just—I think it's just sort of relationship with people um, and how to how to sort of even just strike up a conversation. It doesn't have to be anything deep and meaningful. You don't ever have to see them again. But I, uh, something I use when I speak to again, i speak to young players now—and I didn't really realise it at the time when I was playing. But you have access to lots of um, lots of business people as a a rugby club for example you know you you play your game on a Saturday and you go for food upstairs and there's all those sort of sponsors and fans moving around there's some pretty pretty heavy hitters in the room there's pretty important people local business people if it's a a sort of club game perhaps a big more bit more sort of nationwide, global, even if it's an international game. Uh, and, the, and the tendency is for players just to sort of sit down, eat the food and stay in the corner and stay away from people and try and avoid the fans, trying to avoid being hassled. But actually you've got a real opportunity there to talk to people and, and uh, not necessarily to feather your own nest or get yourself ready for the future, but actually just sort of make yourself a bit more rounded human because uh, I think coming from a rugby point of view, it's very easy to be quite insular uh, and stay in your bubble. Yeah, you bubble, that's uh, quite topical these days, I suppose. But, you, know, you you don't ever have to speak to anyone outside. You go to the gym in a club, you go to uh, the training ground, you go to this, you go to that, And, you know, let's say at games, you just go and have a bit of food and get in the car and go home. But, yeah, that, that, then the, the you're only really mixing with people like yourself. Um, it just, it, you know, they're just mirror images of you. Um, actually, that, that, that's a little bit dull. Um, it's, it's an opportunity missed. and I met some really, really interesting people over my time just by sitting in the room. They think we, we, we you want to talk rugby, and I'm like, so, oh, well, well, what do you do? Some, just a question as simple as that. Well, what do you do for a living? What do you do for work? And then they start talking, and you realise, actually, these guys are as passionate about <laughs> keep using their accountancy or whatever, insurance, they're as passionate about that as I am about rugby. And it's like, well, oh, that's, that's interesting. And one of my favourite ones is the guy who always meet what do you do? Oh, I'm really sorry. I'm a financial advisor. And they're like, well, don't be apologise. Uh, do you like doing it? He goes, I love it. Yeah, I absolutely love it. And again, financial advisors uh, uh, I've met, they're all like that. They're almost apologising for being in a boring profession. Like, well, do you enjoy doing it? Yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it. Oh, there you go. Fair play. Um, so again, sort of roundabout answer to your question. I think the best advice is go to, just to talk to people. And even if it's just a learn how to talk to people, um, because the people I deal with in, in rugby, are, are, so they're a different generation to me, obviously, uh, they're far, far more reluctant to do that. Um, it's almost stepping out of your comfort zone to sort of test yourself, uh, meet other people. You might you might make a lifelong friendship. You might, you might make a business opportunity or some, whatever it is. You might not, but you might actually make that bloke's day. Then he's going to come back next week or next year to sponsor the club or whatever. So there's just so many opportunities, and that's not just in rugby, it's opportunities in life, at l- lunch we're at, So networking lunch, people people meet there, they do business over the next sort of years, or whatever it is, great. They, sometimes they just meet there, have a great night, never see people again. Um, but that's, those sort of relationships, I, th- I think that's really, other than, you know, I sound sort of all bubbly, I'm not, I'm not particularly outgoing, I'm not particularly um, sociable, I, I sort of prefer... Uh, smaller, smaller. My company, myself. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, my business isn't here, so I can say that. Um, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not particularly uh, desperate to go out and mix with people. But when I'm out, I'm like, Do you know what? I enjoy this. I'm going to meet people and talk to people. Uh, I meet. I meet some idiots. I'm sure they might think I'm an idiot. I don't care. I, that's fine. Um, so yeah, just sort of get there. Get yourself out there and talk to people and just just learn how to communicate. Learn how to talk to people and you know. So stuff may come from it, may not, but uh, at least it'll make a, a, a boring lunch go a bit quicker.
0: You know, in doing that interaction as well, there are, there's, there's when you're good at what you do, you reach a point where people start to recognise you're good. Mm. And if you are that kind of more insular person, that you know, the, you, the quiet one, that's quite uncomfortable. Mm. So, like, you know, to look at your your rugby career now and like, the, you know, this, the, your achievements, it's like you you gonna have people coming to you all the time wanting to shake you by the hand and celebrate that and yeah. and everything else. So, when that when that started to happen, how did like how did you handle? Because I'm I'm really crap at that. So <laughs> someone goes, "Oh, Christina, you're amazing!" I'm like, "Okay, let me disappear now. I don't. I just. I'm not. You know."
1: Yeah, I mean, I. And, and I'm 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 far more like that than I'm, I am being. You know, someone comes up to me and goes, "Oh yeah, do yeah, yeah, this and that." am but I'm far more like to say, "Oh, I'm not really." Uh, than I am So, "Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, you're right. I am brilliant." Uh, cheers. See you later. I I, th- I think that sort of humility and that modesty, or whatever you want to call it, uh, I think that's quite important to be successful. With and don't get me wrong, that's sort of the people the, the sort of the brash, confident types. Um, yeah, they're, they're they're successful for different reasons, but I, I just I just think certainly. In, in a team sport or in a sort of uh, uh, a team environment, office environment, whatever, you, whatever have you, actually being the bloke that sort of stands out or the person, not just but the person that stands out and is loud and brash and blah, blah. They're not always the successful ones. It's often the people who are just sort of in the background doing their job, doing it very well and just getting on with stuff. I mean, and, and that's the way, I suppose that's the way I was brought up. We're not, we're not a particularly brash sort of family with, uh, with my parents and all that growing up. um, as a, as a rugby player, I was, you know, um, just uh, yeah. I, I think part of it was I, I was always um, fairly. I was an overachiever. I, w- I wasn't particularly gifted as an athlete or uh, physically or anything like that. It just I had to work hard and um, to maximise myself to sort of even compete at the, the level I got to. Um, you know, if I if I'd been born and grew up to be six foot two six foot three and, and a bigger bigger, better athlete I might have made a even more of a, a career out of it but I had to struggle and, and, and really sort of work hard for what I had so I think that, that sort of kept me grounded um, my family kept me grounded the clubs I was at kept me grounded so I don't think there was ever an opportunity really to, to for me to sort of to get away from that and be that sort of yep uh, yep yeah, yeah, I am the best uh, cheers I you know, don't have to tell me I know that and uh, Funny enough, most of the guys are as Well, there's not a lot of, not a lot of those guys who I can remember that, that were very successful. They actually really did blow their own trumpet. They were very much the sort of modest, silent types who just got on with stuff. There's always a few. I mean, uh, I could name a few if you want, but I think you probably know some of the guys I'm talking about. And yeah, but but the gen, general, generally. In team sports, those those loud people, loud brash people, don't tend to be the the most important or even the most successful people. It's just that, you know they feel they've tried, they've got to try and stand out the, from the crowd. And yeah, you know, I never, I never felt that way. I was quite happy being in the crowd.
0: Yeah. Do you think that sort of comes? And it, you know, I think any team, you know, any, and especially from a sports perspective it's there's a lot of reflection on things. So like you, you look at your strengths, but there's yep. also, you know, end of the game, you're reflecting on the game. Okay. What didn't go well? Yeah. Kind of reverse engineering that and sort of, yep. you know, really reflecting and learning. And I mean, tell, like what experiences have you, have you had from that perspective? I,
1: I, so I would say there's far more reflection, uh, on, on you, or certainly on your, on your faults and, and your bad work than there is on anything else. So if you have a good game, um, uh, well, certainly, so, again, talking from my point of view, and, and probably from a, the point of view of a lot of people I play with and against, is that if you had a, if you won a game by you know, 30 points and you played well, but you missed two tackles, it would be the two tackles you missed that you were thinking about that night and on the Sunday and on the Monday. Because, you yeah, know, it's great to win. Everyone wants to win. But actually, it's about performance. It's about your own performance and your team performance. Uh, and you can only improve that by looking at what you've done badly. Because if you say, "Oh, we won by thirty points, but conceded 25, Oh, yeah, it's great. Now we still won. Well, then, yeah, that, that's true. But then, if you go next week and concede twenty-five points and only score twenty, you're going to lose. So, you need to work on those things that, that you haven't done so well. And I, 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 it, it's a little bit pessimistic, I suppose, looking at it again with, with a bit of hindsight and a bit of perspective. Um, you, you don't get to enjoy what you're doing at the time. I, I, I sort of, if you talk to me now, uh, some of the some of the games that we won, so in some of the finals we won, I didn't enjoy at the time because I had a bad game or I'd done something wrong and it didn't it didn't work out the way I wanted it. You, know, you, you in your head, and when you're a kid, you sort of see yourself playing in the final, you score the winning try, you kick the winning goal or whatever, and you're, you're like the hero. Well, actually, sometimes you, you don't play your best game and you do a couple, you have a couple of mistakes. And I think at the time, because again, probably, probably a bit younger with a bit of a less perspective, you actually sort of forget that you won a premiership or you you, you won this and that because you actually you had a bad game. It's like, well, do you know what? It's not the end of the world. But that's what made me the player I was and that's what made a lot of the players around me, the player they were, was they didn't dwell on the old good bits. They, they went straight back to drawing board and thought, okay, right, that was that was crap. Let's, let's do that better next week. Let's do this better. What can we do to get it better? What can I do to get it better? Um, and I, I, I genuinely think that's the only way Oh, probably most most successful sports people are like that because you know, if, if Usain Bolt breaks the world record once and then he's like, Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's great as ever. He wouldn't break it another four or five times or whatever, drop it to where it is. Um, and there's, you know, there's probably plenty of guys, and keep saying, probably plenty of sports people that have won a tournament or been successful for a year. Uh, and then can't handle that because it's you know that sort of consumes it they get too carried away with it and they're never they never successful again so it, it, I guess it just depends on what you want to get out of the game or or whatever you do if you want to be successful for a sustained period of time you've got to work on your weaknesses you've got to work on things that don't go well in a game or in you know, a a project or whatever it is, rather than say slap yourself in the back for doing one thing well um and yeah, and I, yeah it's, it does sound a bit negative it's probably not. Funny enough, it's probably not what people talk about today in sport, certainly in rugby. I think it's all very much a case of building people's confidence up by saying, oh, that was good, that was good, that was good. Uh, Whereas back in the day, it was, oh, that was all shit. Uh, Yeah, you've got to do better than that. Um, I think
0: that's just language, though, isn't it? Because it's like the the, the negative part of it would be, that was shit. I missed that tackle and dwelling on that. I I didn't win that deal. That Mm. client, that prospect didn't say yes. Yeah. And then like being all doom and gloom. But yeah. what we're talking about is having is having a growth mindset, having the mindset of a of an elite performer. Yeah. Because actually it, we're not focusing on the fact that we didn't succeed in that moment. We're focusing on what we do to make sure we do next time.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a. I can't forget, it. I can't remember it word for word. There's a great quote from Michael Jordan, you know, the greatest basketball player there's ever been, and he uh, he was he was famous for making these last second shots. I think his comment was that uh, I've missed five thousand uh, last minute shots in my career, uh, but people only remember the ones I make. So it's just like, well, yeah, and he as him thinking about it, yeah, he's he's, yeah, he's the, the greatest player ever, and he still talks about the shots he missed and yeah i think you'd like i say i think in sport in general and probably in business as well you, you've got to you've got to keep keep reminding yourself of how uh how to improve rather than say yeah congr- congratulate yourself all the time for things that go well don't don't, yeah, yeah, don't don't forget the good things of course you know that's what keeps you coming back for more probably but you know if you if you, if you don't if you don't keep trying to get better then those good things are come a few and far between
0: absolutely absolutely Speaking of kind of, you know, success and then just replacing that success with the next one and like ne- never being done, you know, always mm. like you go like, what's the next goal? What's the next goal? There are shifts in mindset that happen. So, you know, you, you start off playing at one level and then all of a sudden you're in a premiership team and then all of a mm. sudden you're, you know, and it's kind of like it's you're shifting environments all the time. You're on bigger stages. Yeah. So how, how did you – like, what was the experience for you? How did you deal with those shifts in, in those environments, the shift in mindset?
1: Um, I guess to a degree it's just a little bit of trial and error. So you, you're playing when you're a kid. You, well, when I was a kid, you sort of get 17, 18 years old and you're playing – uh, rugby against your peers, people the same age as you, and then suddenly you, you get to be quite good and you get picked for the first team at your club and you're young, the youngest there by five years or whatever it is because, you know, it's, it's you know, the old boys, you know, you, you've got to earn your stripes in the second team and you can't play until you're 20, whatever. So you think, oh, actually, uh, this is quite daunting for me. I've got to go and play against men uh, on Saturday and I've been playing against people my age all the time. So you just sort of, you, you, you go in and you, you get beaten up and you get kicked around and you think, actually, yeah, this is pretty tough, but I could do this. And so the next week you're a little bit better, a little bit more confident. And the week after, and it, again, sounds a little bit old school, but rugby, rugby is still like that. You've got to sort of find, you've got to find your feet and, uh, and just sort of I guess, sink or swim essentially. Um, well, there's a bit more tolerance these days. If you have a bad game when you're young, know, I don't kick you on the on the scrap heap. Whereas, you know, back in the day, you didn't get a lot of chances. Um, so I don't think it's really just a shift in your mindset. It's just you, you sort of you meet the challenge and you just sort of take it on. Same, you know, from my my sort of junior club to play for Saracens, and I'm up there on a Thursday night in June, training with these guys I've been watching on TV for the last sort of ten years. Uh, and you're thinking, oh, geez, am I good enough for this? And you give it a go and you think, actually, yeah, I can do this. I need to work on this. I need to get better than this. I need to get a bit tougher or stronger or whatever. But I can do this. And you sort of convince yourself, it's, you dip your toe in the water. And again, um, yeah, professional sport's pretty harsh environment. There's lots of people who have dipped their toe in the water and thought, oh, I'm not really for me, and end up end up doing uh, proper jobs. Um, you know, there's lots of, lots of people my age, are, you know, going back to my sort of schoolboy days and, my youth rugby days, I wasn't, wasn't the best player by any means. Certainly wasn't the best athlete or anything like that, but I had a bit of resolve and I've had a bit of grit about me. Uh, and, it, you know, people, better better players than me, sort of fell by the wayside and I end up being, um, making a career out of it. But, uh, yeah, and, and that, that, I suppose in a way that is the mindset. It's just, you know, this is a challenge. I'll take it on. Uh, you sort of, <clears throat> I think the, the odd thing about sport, I think, is you, you spend most of your time lying to yourself. So you like? I'm not injured. I'm not tired. I, 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 I do want to train today. I, I do want this, and I can play at this level. I can. I can tackle that bloke who's twice my size. I can. You, you don't often spend a lot of time thinking. oh yeah. yeah sort of, Again, goes back to what you was saying before. It's all about sort of. Um, I don't, know, I don't know how to describe it, but so I guess it's sort of a bit reverse psychology on yourself almost. Like, you know, try to kid yourself that you're good enough to be at this level. And you know, sometimes you ask yourself that question, you, you're sitting in rooms with some of the best players in the world and you're thinking, what the hell am I doing here? Then you, then you get out and train and you think, actually, do you know what? I'm not, I'm not far behind that broker over there. who's the best in his position. Um, but I, I guess that's just a, a, more of a, more of a natural mindset. I think for, for me, I was, I was quite a stubborn kid. I get it from a dad. Um and yeah, if, if 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 someone told me I couldn't do something, I'd be like, do you know I'll give that a go and if I'll show you. Uh whereas plenty of other people are like, Yeah, you're probably right, I can't do that, and just sort of leave it at that. Um yeah, that that sort of that's sort all of, resilience and stubbornness I think was was fairly natural in me and it's in my, <laughs> it's in my daughter as well now, which is, which is not so great. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's funny how you, you don't think about it at the time, but actually I sort of did nurture that. And I, 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 the, the stuff, not just me, but the people around me, that we, we end up nurturing that sort of side of ourselves and, and sort of honing it into uh, you know, a really tough, resilient team. So it's not just individuals who are tough and resilient and refuse to be beaten or whatever. It's uh it sort of rubs off on the bloke next to you in, in training. He, he he sort of looks at you, you look at him, and you, in the middle of a game, you know, you back to the wall, you look at each other and think, yeah, I've been here before, it's this is what we this is what we do. And it's it's it wasn't as scientific as that back in the day. It was just that, you know, that's what we did. Whereas now you probably would get more sort of sports psychologists talking about that resilience mm-hmm. and talking about that uh, that mental approach to it. Um yeah, but but back in the day it was just that uh, you just taught it by being beating up on the training field or uh, told to get out if you weren't if you weren't strong enough i suppose
0: so you work now with teams as well don't you yeah a little not, not so much now but uh,
1: before the pandemic yeah
0: yeah okay yeah. so when it comes like to build that get that resilience within the team to sort of build that culture mm. it's because things have changed yeah. So like, what, what are what are the strategies that you, you found have worked best in that scenario?
1: Nothing yet. It's very difficult. And um, I think this is, a, this is a question people ask sports people all the time. It's like, how do, you, how do you build a team? How do you get teamwork? How do you, how do you build that? Uh, and and it's, there's no one answer. There's no, I can't write down a bit of paper, do this, and I guarantee this will work for your team. Because your team is very different than my team. Uh, that's very different. That team over there. That team over there. I, I think, as a coach now, I think what I didn't appreciate as a player was the the amount of uh, variety you've got in people's character uh, and their their sort of um, their, their their resilience or their 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 mental uh, strength. Um, because I think I took it for granted in, in the teams I played in, I was quite fortunate that, you know, we had, we had sort of 20, 25 people who were of the same mental ilk. We always had sort of five or six guys who weren't quite there and they were the, the guys that didn't play a lot. Um, but you, you sort of, you just take it for granted as a, as a player that actually we're all we're all pretty much like here. It. It's just, you know, we've got to go in and if we're not playing well, we're just going to scrap and fight and claw for everything. And yeah, it will see what happens at the end. And more often than not, that turned out okay. As a coach, you can't coach that in people. You can't coach a team to be scrappy and resilient in that way. But what you can do is you can put them in scenarios in training, put them in scenarios in, 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 in the sessions, whether it's team sessions or uh, individual sessions, and sort of challenge them to think about it. So actually then, if it's not natural to them, they are thinking about it. And, yeah, you know, it, 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 it was quite uh, quite a steep learning curve for me because, as I said, before you know, playing for for me that that sort of stuff just wasn't taught to you. You just learned it, or you didn't learn it, and you were out. Uh, but now I think coaching is, is far more um, far more it's far more interesting that side of it. How do how do you, how do you build resilience? How do you Brazil? How do you build teamwork? Um, but I think at the end of the day, you've got to you, you've got to be fortunate with the t- with the people you've got. Uh, good, good teams contain good people. Simple as that. Um, and invariably, good people make good. Rugby players, or or, or whatever, because it, it, good people can be flexible a little bit, like we talked about at the beginning. They can be flexible. They can bend to sort of allow other people to have their bit, and I have my bit, you have your bit, and uh, that, that sort of flexibility all the time, knowing that actually through us runs this this resilience or this this, this desire to achieve whatever it is. Um, so uh, uh, it, it it's it's very difficult it's very difficult as a coach if you're not in, involved in that to do that um, and then i think the best coaches appreciate that they they need to give the, the the these days they need to give the players room to find this out themselves they need to have the hardest thing for um for a coach to do is to hand over control so I think you're, you're a coach. You think, right, I've got to plan everything. I've got to do everything. I'll be on the field in the training session, shouting, blowing a whistle, blah, blah. But actually, I think one of the hardest things you've got to say to the players, look, um, even if it's, okay, you've got half an hour now in this session tonight. Um, I'll give you some scenarios. I'm not going to coach you. You're just going to sort of solve these problems yourself. And you're sitting there and the ball's bouncing sort off people's heads and going all over ah, don't do it. You're desperate to say, don't do it like that. Do it like this. But then you realise, actually, this is where they learn. This is how they learn it, You'd rather they made the mistakes here than they did on the field on a Saturday. So actually relinquishing that control over to the players and letting them run a session or whatever it is, uh, it is quite it's quite a quite an important part of coaching. Um and I think that's that's something that's very, very much modern because that certainly wasn't the case 15 years ago where the coach like I said did shout and scream and blow his whistle all the time. Um but I think that works. And so I do think I do think yeah you need to put the players in situations where they're under pressure, although it's not the same as a game, they're under as much pressure as you get them under. And then you sort of, they're, hopefully they learn that resilience. They learn from mistakes. They learn from uh, each other how to, how to solve these, these, these questions in training. And the hope is that they can transfer that into a game on a, on a weekend.
0: I love that answer. I absolutely mm. love that answer because <laughs> I was um, I was at an event a couple of weeks ago and I was talking to someone who specialises in um, diversity and inclusion, mm. and I was talking about the team here because I you know we we're, we're a small team. There's there's mm. eight of us here at, at, at HQ. Sounds yes. sounds very grand, doesn't it? But yeah, <laughs> um, so there's eight, eight of us here, which is our core cool team, and I am blessed. I'm absolutely blessed. They are so supportive. I could yeah. I could just say sod it tomorrow, take a week off, and the business will run beautifully. Yeah. Now I don't need to worry about if I want to go meet someone for coffee, I can go and do that. It's, like, it's it's all good. And I I was sort of talking about the openness that we have, the community, the level of communication, the fact that you know I have some I have some. Fucking amazing ideas, uh, yeah. but for every, you know, it, it's like the Michael Jordan thing. There, there's, a, there's a lot of pretty crap ones too. Yeah. And they will just tell me, like, they don't let me run away and waste time. It's like the 360-degree yeah. feedback is there. I, they push back on me all the time, and, it, and it's, it, it, that's what's allowed the business to grow. But she says, yeah. how did you, so how did you do it? How did you create it? And I was just like, they just all know I don't care. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, and, and I, I kind of say that flippantly, but it is that it's a little bit of autonomy. It's a little bit of bring yourself, bring your whole self to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, well, let's learn the resilience together. Let's, mm. let's, let's develop grit together. And as yeah, long yeah. as there is some alignment, we can, yeah. we've can. got something yeah. you can build on it.
1: Yeah, it has, has to be a common goal, obviously. Otherwise, you're just sort of uh, eight, eight people um, yeah, what, you, what, you, what you're scrapping and fighting for is you've got to have a common aim a common goal whether it's recruiting business people or, or winning, winning a game match uh, whichever, whichever it is but um, it's actually an interesting uh, thing my the boss at one of my first coaching jobs used to say this so we had a, it was at a university and he was director of rugby and uh, about the same age as me actually I think we, we we played against each other when we were sort of 18, 19 years old um, and he <laughs> Usually me, but, um, but you know, he, he played a bit of semi-pro rugby. So he was, he was a good player and, and all that. But he—he—he—he's—I um, he, don't know where he got this quote from. Again, I don't remember the full quote word for word. But one of his things was, "I surround myself with people who are better than me uh, because that that sort of drags me up, and I like to be challenged." And that, that was the sort of crux of the quote. It wasn't a case of him being the boss and telling everyone what to do. He. he yeah, you know, I, I I played professional rugby. He hadn't. Uh, he hired me, and he he was always asking my opinion. Sometimes he'd say, "Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, that's good." Sometimes he'd say, "No, that's that's bollocks." But he enjoyed that challenge. He enjoyed being challenged by people asking him, um, "You know, why are we doing this? What are we do this for? Was this was this achieved?" And if he didn't have an answer for it, he says, "You know, you're probably right. Why are we doing this? If there's no reason behind it." Um, so he wasn't afraid of hiring. And he, you know, some of the guys around him, who were far more qualified coaches around him that he'd hired before. You know, he just he said, yeah, I, I, I like that challenge. I like being challenged by the people. Uh, and it wasn't like a hierarchy. He wasn't the boss. It was just a case of everyone sort of trying to pull in the same direction in, in different ways. Um, but that, that, that challenge for him was, was crucial. That you know, the, I think the worst CEO I heard, uh, uh, CEOs I could think of were people who, who were just surrounded by yes men. They say yeah. something, but yeah, are like, "Yep, yep, yep, great idea." And it's not a great idea; it's a terrible idea. But don't, no one's got the bottle to tell them uh, that, that they need to sort of get rid of wobble. Yeah. <laughs>
0: It's funny, I'm thinking like the,
1: the, the, the yes people never sort of last long with me. No, no well, they, they shouldn't do either. I, just, I, 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 I don't head up a business or anything like that now, but I, I can't stand people who aren't honest. It's just if you've got something to say about the way we're doing something, say it. And I, I just, when I was coaching, I, I had a very open relationship with the, the coaches around me. I said, look, you know, again, I was in that situation. I, I, was, I, was, I was probably, I had a couple of ex-pros with me. But I was very much a case of look, I want I want you to tell me if it's wrong, if what I'm saying is wrong, if what we're doing is wrong. Don't just go along with it and tell me on a Saturday night that when we have to, after we've lost the game, we should have been doing this the week. I want to hear it on a, on a Tuesday rather than a Saturday. Um, and that 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 open conversation is it, it's, it's crucial to to build those relationships. Talking about the, the, not even just the team, but just the relationships with it, the trust with people that you actually can say to people, mate, that's that's wrong. Or yeah, do you know what? That's good. Don't don't be afraid to compliment people either. Those sort of those sort of leadership things are quite well, very important and they're just very underrated, I think.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. George, I'm really conscious of your time.
1: No, I'm not in a rush to go anywhere.
0: <laughs> Let's keep talking then. What else you got for me?
1: <laughs> uh, I do what, what are you watching on Netflix at the moment? Um,
0: <laughs> so what, what is it you're doing right now? Give us give us all the plugs.
1: I'm sat in my dining room. Um, uh, no, I, I, I generally I, I just work for an events company. I work, we are, we're quite a small company called Under the Post, uh, founded by a mate of mine about twenty odd years ago. Uh, I worked with him on and off uh, over the years, just sort of doing some afternoon speaking and bits and pieces for him. And then once I finished playing full time, I sort of did a bit more with him and got a bit more involved in it all. And uh, what well, about four years ago now? I'd, I'd sort of um, not had it with rugby, I had enough of coaching for a while and we were, we were getting quite busy before the pandemic. So I said to him, look, would you take me on full time and I'll, I'll do all your rugby events and yeah, sort of worked, worked well at the time and so I got me on the payroll and I just sort of uh, host uh, or co-host all the rugby events we do which is about 20, 25, 26 a year. Do you uh, love it? Golf days. I do, I do that. It's not, it's not work. I, I, I do say I was fortunate enough to do a, a job I love for 18 years in, in rugby play and then uh, I had a little bit of a rocky patch after I finished play. I didn't quite know which way I was going, but I'm now also doing a job again that I, I do love doing. It's you know, I'm not, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm not earning millions of pounds. Unfortunately, it's the only snag, um, but I, I do enjoy it, and I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I, I get, I get the sort of flexibility. I do a little bit of other stuff on the side with some other sort of people, but uh, the, the majority of my work is just for the one company under the post. And awesome. yeah.
0: So, if people that you know after this conversation they want to come and follow you, where are we sending them to? Twitter or? Yeah, I'm on
1: Twitter. I'm not not particularly active on Twitter, but um, I, I do I do retweet a bit and all that. Um, I, I don't really do Insta, to be honest. Um, but yeah, uh, Twitter and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I'm around.
0: Yeah, you'll we'll find. You can you.
1: find me. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I'm, I managed to track you down, even you uh, even yeah. after I lost your details. <laughs>
1: Threw them away, like, I heard. Yeah, just no, burning, no. burning you, them in the street is what I heard.
0: Do you know this is this is the thing? When you go to a rugby event, there is like there's a chance it will all get out of control. <laughs>
1: Thank really, I, I didn't know
0: that. I didn't know, so, oh, you, I was supposed to go home that evening. So, like, we'll keep this in the podcast. I don't yeah. care. I was supposed <laughs> to go home that evening, and I ended up like I ended up checking in somewhere near Tower Hill to, oh, um, yeah, because I, I was like, well, even if I get the train home now, I can't drive the rest of the way. So, like, <laughs> can you imagine this? Like, you know, early forties
1: yeah, male.
0: Uh, t- totters up to the reception desk to check in with nothing but a handbag that's like about 9 <laughs> inches wide, you know and i was like what they thought god only knows. Well, mary
1: poppins i like, oh, just get all the oh stuff man there. i was
0: like and then the next morning i was like where is everything like i like what is going on i was a bit confused but yeah. um but no it's a fantastic event and um and thank you cuz um <laughs> for yeah for responding for the the please oh, for no help to try all. and get in contact with you after i did that i was so embarrassed
1: the magic of twitter that is the magic Absolutely. of Twitter. Absolutely,
0: and the magic of social uh, social media
1: yeah yeah, yeah
0: um yeah. but fantastic so thank you george there's so much in this episode i really appreciate your time no, and, no um, problem at all, and Chris, like i said yeah. i knew it would be a fantastic conversation we we yeah. started talking off about talking about one thing and i was just like look i've got to have you on the podcast so yeah yeah thank you again
1: no no problem at all hope it goes well pleasure to be here